0: Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Classic Gaming Brothers. I'm Seth. And I'm Zach. And we are the Classic Gaming Brothers.
1: That's right, we are the Classic Gaming Brothers.
0: Uh, Welcome to episode 145. Yeah, this is going to be, I'm going to say an exciting episode, but maybe you'll have other thoughts. (laughs) I mean, I always have other thoughts.
1: Well, hopefully, Howard Scott Warshaw isn't listening to this episode.
0: In that case, it's going to be a super exciting episode. Anyway, before we get to the topic of the week, as it were, Zach, uh, what have you been recently been playing?
1: Uh, Seth, recently I've been playing Virtual Boy Wario Land. Why? I don't know. Not on the Virtual Boy. Oh, okay. So your eyes are still intact. (laughs) My eyes are still intact. The game was released originally in 1995 by Nintendo for the Virtual Boy, but I've been playing it on the RG353P console that Seth gave me for my birthday. Which was just recently. Yeah, yes. My birthday was just recently. As of the recording of this episode, it was yesterday. As of the release of this episode, it was a while ago. But yeah, the RG353P emulates Virtual Boy really well. It's not obviously in VR but it still is playable, mostly because the games don't really rely on 3D in in any way. And I don't know if you can change the color from black and red to something else, but I've seen that you can with other emulation tools. So I assume you can, because uh, the RG353P just uses RetroArch. So I assume you can just go into the settings and change it to something that's a bit more palatable to the eyes. I played it in red. It's not that bad if you're not like, that's not the only colors you see. But uh, beyond the colors, the game is actually pretty fun. It plays a lot like the classic Wario Land games for the Game Boy. I would say closer to Wario Land 3. In the game, you play as Wario and you go around and smash things by using your charge attack where Wario can like speed up using his uh elbow and like slam into things. And you can pick up various different types of power ups, such as a, a hat that shoots fire or a, uh, a hat that has horns on it that gives him a bit more of a strength stronger slams so you can break bigger boxes. But uh yeah, in the game you're playing as Wario and you do everything that Wario does, which is collect a lot of money and gamble sometimes. Yeah, he's 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 a, a big money guy. Oh yeah, he's very into money. Anyway, Wario Land for the Virtual Boy, pretty good game. Uh the Virtual Boy is actually like the graphics I thought were really impressive, the art and stuff, despite being only in red and black, is still very detailed. So, I think the Virtual Boy probably the games at least seem to have a lot of effort put into them, which is unfortunate because the was kind of garbage.
0: Orioland has parallax scrolling, doesn't it?
1: Yes, it does, uh, which actually still looks fine on the RG353P. Um, Again, the 3D effect isn't there, but the parallax scrolling looks okay. And there is a thing where you can like go into the background and do stuff, but even that is fine. I I didn't have any issues with that. So Seth, what have you been playing? So
0: recently I've been playing uh, Two Point Campus, which was released August 9th of 2022. It was developed by Two Point Studios and published by Sega. Uh, If you like Two Point Hospital, then you'll probably like Two Point campus it's a management simulation game but instead of running a hospital i'll give you a clue what you're running a school
1: oh
0: uh you build a school the same kind of art styling that two point hospital has except you're looking to get your students to be smarter instead of curing people with weird illnesses so far i've i've played a little bit of it i've been enjoying it i like these styles of management games and i like the academia setting i think it's a nice twist on this management style game and and instead of like i don't know it feels like less i guess a little less stressful right because when you're in a hospital you're trying to save lives college you're just trying to get people to pass and to be honest can only do so much so you know like putting more budget into stuff not necessarily going to make people straight a students but if you don't have an operating room that's definitely going to have people die. <laughs> so it's just, I feel like for me, Two Point Campus is just like a little less uh, stressful because I'm not, I don't have all these influxes of like patients who are who are dying. I instead have just
1: dumb kids who may become more dumb.
0: But you know what? At the end of the day, if I run a budget
1: school, I can expect
0: budget learning.
1: Do you get to have uh, predatory loans in Two Point Campus?
0: Oh no, I wish though. That would be a lot of fun. <laughs> that would be a lot of fun. <laughs> I think you could take out predatory loans. Like as the, well, yeah, yeah. As, as like the, the administrator. The,
1: the administrator you take out predatory loans. It's like in uh, Roller Coaster Tycoon, you take out predatory loans. Now, uh, today we are talking about a game that we have talked about a little bit before when we did our E.T. episode. Uh, that game is Yars Revenge. In previous episodes, we've talked about Atari and games created by individuals like Howard Scott Warshaw. For our new listeners and people who don't want to go back and listen to old episodes, Howard Scott Warshaw is probably best known for creating the infamous game et the extraterrestrial so we thought it was best to talk about one of his most famous games that an infamous i think where et is an infamous game yar's revenge is a famous game did we uh did we do an et episode i swore we did an et episode we definitely talked about et before it was episode 124 et the extraterrestrial
0: nice so, in fact, almost 21 episodes ago was our
1: ET episode. Yes, yes, it was. Um, so, yeah, we're going to talk about Warshaw and his uh, better. Game that he made for the Atari. Now, Warshaw, in his own words, is a Colorado born, Jersey raised, and New Orleans schooled individual. He attended Tulane University and got his bachelor's degree in math and economics. And after leaving Tulane, he received a master's degree in computer engineering. Shortly after graduation, he got a job where a lot of computer engineering people got jobs Hewlett Packard. He decided to leave Hewlett Packard in 1981 and was hired by Atari Incorporated. Atari was a company that was doing well in 1981 and had recently been acquired by Warner Communications. While Atari in its earlier days was often considered more relaxed, Warner had brought some structure to the company under the leadership of Ray Kassar. Kassar wasn't without controversy though. He reportedly fought with programmers and was quoted as once calling them spoiled brats, uh, likely due to some of them wanting to make sure that they were properly credited on their products. Man, the
0: 70s were such a different time. Yes. (laughs) Like, if I called my coworkers a spoiled brat, I feel like I would be talking about a child or something.
1: Right? Yeah, I feel like if if a CEO called their employees uh, spoiled brats, that CEO would no longer be CEO. <laughs> anyway. Now, before Warshaw got started at Atari, people were so fed up with the fact that Kassar was so strict on this policy of programmers not being credited. Uh, Four programmers decided to leave the company in 1978 to go start their own company for that exact reason. What company was that? That company was Activision, which we still haven't done like a proper episode on. And I feel like Activision would be a fun company to talk about until we get to the last like four years. Yeah. It kind of went way downhill.
0: (laughs) Activision is a fun company in its own right, especially back in the scrappy days where they were like making games for game consoles and stuff like that. So when Warshaw would go on to join Atari in 1981, he was soon put on a project for a licensed port of the arcade game Star Castle. Star Castle, which was released in 1980 by Cinematronics, was a fairly straightforward multi-directional shooter using vector graphics. The game saw you playing as a spaceship that had to destroy a series of defenses which orbited a stationary turret at the center of the screen. So I imagine it kind of looked like asteroids, except instead of asteroids, there was a turd in the middle of the screen.
1: That's exactly what it looks like.
0: (laughs) Because a lot of those vector graphics games look like asteroids. Now, Warshaw got to work researching the game and seeing if the game could easily be adapted for the Atari 2600. He originally came up with a near identical conversion, but realized that the 2600 had far greater restrictions than he had anticipated, and thus a perfect port would be ultimately impossible. Interestingly enough, in 2015. Fifteen programmer D. Scott Williamson ported Star Castle. To the 2600 and released it via Kickstarter. A reworked version was also released on Atari Age called Star Castle Arcade. So, Warshaw, if you just waited 35 years, <laughs> you could have you could have seen it.
1: I, I imagine him going to Ray Kassar and being like, listen, the work can be done, but it's gonna take us 35 years.
0: <laughs> 35 years. Uh to compensate for the technical issues, he reworked the idea. Warshaw reworked the idea and created a new concept that kept the the overall idea of Star castle but was a little different this new game was going to originally be called time freeze mostly because Warshaw really wanted a moment in the game where time would pause so that the first
1: full-screen explosion could play out now Warshaw continued to toy with this idea and he eventually settled on the idea that the spaceship was not actually a spaceship it was going to be a mutated housefly called a yar the name yar was actually the inverse of of ray as in ray kassar in fact the ars planet razak 4 also came from kassar so Warshaw was kind of doing like a weird subtle attack on his own boss by making the the main ship a mutated horsefly named after his boss Warshaw really wanted this name to be kept so he reportedly told the marketing employees that ray kassar had already approved the name of the game perfect <laughs> and later, had to swear that employee to secrecy, as he worried that they would go and tell everyone. <laughs> so he's like, he's like, don't worry, this is
0: this is approved. Also, don't tell anybody that I said that this was approved. Also, it's not approved, but it's too late because we're in production.
1: So now the game that was Time Freeze became Yar's Revenge, and Yar's Revenge actually got a really strong marketing push from Atari. Included with the game was a miniature comic book that would detail the story about why the Yar is taking revenge.
0: The horse fly.
1: Atari also released an, uh, a full album which contained the Yars' Revenge theme song and a radio drama style reading of the comic.
0: Man has not always lived among the stars. There was a time many centuries ago when the race called humans lived only on one small blue planet. It is there on the planet they call Earth that our story begins. In the closing years of the 20th century, mankind began its greatest adventure,
1: the exploration and eventual colonization of space. A different recording was also included in this release, which explains that the Yar could use itself to target the cannon that you had to destroy. The game was finally released in May of 1982. Included with the game, somewhat controversially, was an Easter egg. After killing the swirl enemy, which we'll get a bit into like the enemies and stuff in the gameplay section. uh, If you killed the swirl enemy in mid-flight, a black vertical line would appear on the screen across the spot from where the swirl was shot. In the manual, the black line is referred to as the Ghost of Yars. I think the idea is it's like the Ghost of Yars path. Like, these are your ancestors that you are fighting. If your yar is placed in the lower third of the main screen and the black mark on its back is lined up with the vertical line at the moment the massive screen size explosion vanishes, a screen will appear that displays H S W W S H for Howard Scott Warshaw. The use of the forward and backward lettering was done to give a hint to the people that saw this Easter egg to read words backwards so that they could know that yar was Ray, as in Ray Kasser. (laughs) Who was a horsefly. (laughs) Who was a horsefly, apparently. I assume that this was mostly done for other developers, because I assume players probably didn't really care who Ray Kasser was. But I'm sure the other developers who found this Easter egg probably got a kick out of it. But uh, that is uh, the history, at least. Let's get into the gameplay. How does Yar's Revenge play?
0: Sure, yeah. In the game, you play as a Yar, which is a mutated fly, as we kind of perhaps beaten the horse.
1: A bit too much? Beating the horse fly about?
0: <laughs> oh, maybe beating the dead horse fly a little bit? And you must eat or shoot through a barrier to destroy the evil... quaddle.
1: Quaddle? Coital? Quaddle? Coital? <laughs> I don't think it's coital. The quaddle Q-O-T-I-L-E. Quotile? Kotile, I think. That
0: sounds right. Appears on the far right of the screen and is guarded by a barrier. The Kotile is still able to attack the Yar by turning into the Swirl and shooting across the level. In the middle of the screen is a neutral zone that allows the Yar to stay safe from the Swirl. However, the Yar is unable to shoot within the neutral zone. To destroy the Kotile or the Swirl, the player must touch the Kotile or eat a piece of the shield in order to activate the Zorwan Cannon. You then aim the Cannon at the Kotile, or the Swirl, and fire. If you are successful, the level will end. The Cannon can however backfire, as it can track the Yar's vertical position and can hit the player. The plot, which is explained in the comic, revolves around the Yar taking revenge on the Kotile for destroying the world of Razak 4.
1: So how did the how did Yar's revenge do? It sounds like obviously Atari put some backing into it.
0: You know, back in the early 80s, people really didn't really care about the story. And they really just wanted to play video games. Well, especially if they were like arcade games or like a port of an arcade game. Because Yars' Revenge ultimately was mimicking an arcade game.
1: Yeah, it's based on Star Castle.
0: And at the end of the day, people who like playing those games, eh,
1: they don't really care about
0: the story or being a horsefly. They just want to have a good, a good game.
1: You, you say this, Seth, but you should read what some of the reviewers were saying about, about Yars' Revenge.
0: Well, we can get to that. If I went to the arcade and there was a game of like Centipede or Galaxian, I wouldn't particularly care about the lore of why this ship or th- these aliens are attacking. I just want to shoot aliens. Anyway, Yars' Revenge was a massive success selling 30 million units. It did receive some mediocre reviews at the time of release. One magazine, Electronic Games, said, The game only has one objective that must be repeated indefinitely. Today's players have grown used to progressive play, new challenges, and changing graphics. In this regard, YAR is far too static. Listen electronic (laughs) games here's the deal it's the 80s and you get what you get and guess what in 2022 they still have games that only have one objective that must be repeated indefinitely and in those games you get the pleasure of buying loot boxes so have at you anyway in 1995 it was rated in the top 100 games of all time by Flux Magazine, who clearly knew the benefit and or who clearly knew the joy that was and is Yars' Revenge.
1: And I think Yars' Revenge is is a good game. I played Yars' Revenge. I have a copy of it for the 2600. It's fun, simple, but you know what? Simple's good, especially when you're playing on something like the 2600, because the 2600, that is not a system for complicated games. As Howard Scott, Warshaw, and Atari would find out when they did try to make a complicated game, E.T. Obviously, E.T. did not sell 30 million units. Now, in terms of the legacy, Yars' Revenge is considered a classic for the Atari 2600, and probably considered a must-have if you collect for the Atari. It was ported to the Game Boy Color in 1999 by TeleGames, and has been included in numerous re-releases, like on the Atari Flashback systems, a Game Boy Advance multi-pack, which also featured Pong and Asteroids, and a full re-release in the Xbox Game Room in 2010. A reimagining of the game was released in 2010 for the Xbox, Xbox Live Arcade and on Microsoft Windows where the YAR was redesigned as a woman in a mech armor like a power armor. Another remake and prequel to the first game was released on Facebook as YAR's Revenge First War in 2011. This version was praised for being faithful to the original but also offering brand new content and a revamped version was released as YAR's Recharged in 2022 as part of the Atari Recharged series. This was released on Windows, Switch, PS4, PS5, Xbox One, Xbox Series XS, Google Stadia, and the Atari VCS, which is the, it's like a computer thing that's just branded with Atari and has a bunch of games that you can buy. Another remake was made available for HTML5 web browsers on Atari.com and an official. Atari 2600-based sequel was released in 2005 on the Atari Flashback 2 called Yars Return. This version was re-released on a cartridge as part of the 2022 50th anniversary celebration of Atari as a company. Or rather, Atari as a brand, because the original company Atari has not been around for 50 years. They disappeared a long time ago, but the brand Atari has been around for 50 years, and uh, Yar's Return is available as a cartridge, uh, or was for a limited time, uh, which I think is pretty neat. That there is a brand new Atari game, essentially available as a cartridge out there for the 50th anniversary, and it's based on Yar's Revenge. It's the sequel.
0: So, a fun fact about the Yar's Return was it was actually a homebrew game that was originally created by Raymond Young and Dennis DeBro back in 2005, and Atari liked it so much that they they just labeled it as an Atari game and deemed it the sequel to Yars Revenge. They just liked the style of the game and then so they put onto the uh, flashback and then they they just included it in all those like plug this to your machine to play 4 million Atari games type of consoles and that's how it's kind of gotten into the zeitgeist of Atari that it, it is yeah it was originally some people who just really liked Yars Revenge made Yars Return and Atari was like this is, this is great we're gonna label it. Some other fun facts about Yars Revenge because who doesn't like facts that are fun yard's revenge isn't a movie if you watch airplane 2 the sequel to airplane why would you i'm sure airplane 2 is a fine comedy
1: it's not a good movie
0: Well, anyway, in the beginning of Airplane Two, they're they're in the command center, and there is a child that approaches the command center, and the guy is pushing knobs, and there is a game on the screen. That game is not Yars' Revenge. Ugh. However, the sounds to associate to the computer beeping and booping is the sound from Yars' Revenge. <laughs> that's fun. So Yars' Revenge did make it to Hollywood. Kind uh, of. That's the only indif- That's the only time that I remember having or seeing or hearing Yars' Revenge in any movies if you actually saw it in a movie. I don't think it has been, but if you have, then you can let us know. Also, there were I think we mentioned it. There was a couple of records released, the radio drama. It was released by Kid Stuff, who released a bunch of other fun stuff. Those are the fun facts I got. Well,
1: well, one fun fact I have is that the explosion, which you do see in Yars' Revenge, actually, when Warshaw was working on the game, realized that having like a full screen explosion on your Atari game was difficult as Atari cartridges were small. You only had about like four kilobytes of RAM or four kilobytes of available ROM. Uh, So what he did was he had the... the game display the game's source code as visual um, like images. So when you see the explosion, uh, according to something I was watching, where they were talking about Yars' Revenge, it's actually the code being flashed on the screen, interpreted as uh, visual data. Um, Which is very cool, because when you have code that's interpreted as like blocks, it does look like an explosion of of colors. And if that's an incorrect fact, Mr. Warshaw let us know. Or the guy that made that YouTube video that I was watching a while ago let us know, (laughs) because I thought that was a fun fact to share. It was a video by Gen X Grown Up. Um, just to credit my source there. And that's gonna be our
0: Yars' Revenge episode. I hope you enjoyed it.
1: The like Yars' Revenge, a short episode to a pretty short game.
0: Yeah, that's right. Just wait till we cover uh, an open world game. Like I guess we've already done that. I was gonna make a joke about covering like a long open world game that would go on forever, and so then the the episode would be equally long, like Skyrim. Oh, do a Skyrim episode and just go on forever.
1: God, we could talk about Skyrim. It'll take us forever to talk about how many times Skyrim has been on things.
0: That's true. We could do a Skyrim episode for every console that it's been on.
1: Now we're going to get into our Retro Rewind section. The Retro Rewind. And Seth gave me Where in Time is Carmen Sandiego? Uh, Where in Time is, is Carmen Sandiego is a game originally created by Broderbund and later ported to various consoles like the NES and the Sega Genesis. I played the Sega Genesis version and in the game you must track clues and evidence to find the mysterious Carmen San Diego, who's currently traveling in time. Hence the question, where in time is Carmen San Diego? It's a pretty fun- Where in time is Carmen San Diego? San Diego? Now, it's a pretty fun edutainment game. Uh, you have to figure out various details in the various locations you go to in time. Uh, so you'll get like context clues about anachronistic items left at the crime scene. And you have to like determine where the next location is. Um, um, you also have to collect evidence to prove that Carmen San Diego is the one committing the crime. Because if you just track her down and try to arrest her, it'll be like you caught her, but you don't have any evidence to prove she did anything. So we gotta let her go. I will say, uh, I do recommend *Where in Time is Carmen San Diego* if you really want to learn something. <laughs> if you just want to play a video game, you can probably skip it. I think the there is a *Where in the World is Carmen San Diego* game that's a bit more enjoyable. Uh, wait, but but *The Where in Time* in Carmen San Diego is a lot about history. Yes. Where Where in the World is more about geography. But Where in the World came
0: out in the 90s, so it's probably not relevant geography.
1: Yeah, that's true.
0: So at least where time is still relevant. It's not like the history has been changed.
1: On the topic of educational games, I'm giving Seth an educational game because he keeps giving them to me. So Seth, next week you're going to have to play Mario is Missing, but for the NES.
0: Either I keep giving them to you because I want you to learn something, or I keep giving to you because my entire history and nostalgia of video <laughs> games just is edutainment. all
1: entertainment.
0: Have we done a Carmen Sandiego episode? No,
1: but we probably could. We did a Broderbund episode, I think, didn't we? We've talked talked about Broderbund because we did an Oregon Trail episode. Oh, right, Broderbund right, right. helps with Oregon Trail. We
0: talked about Broderbund before, and I think we talked about Carmen Sandiego during the time that we talked about Broderbun. So it's probably due to do a Carmen Sandiego special episode and talk about all of the Carmen Sandiego games.
1: Yeah, we'll invite Carmen Sandiego on, see if she wants to talk, if we can find her.
0: Anyway, my retro rewind was Zach gave me James Bond Jr. for the SNES. It was uh, developed by Gray Matter and re- released for the SNES in 1992. James Bond Jr. is based on a cartoon of the same name that I didn't watch. The game is a mix-up of a platformer and a side-scroller with a horrible transition between the two. Uh, in fact, I thought I was having fun, but only because the at the time, the other game I was playing was, I think I was playing the Garfield Game Gear game? Garfield
1: on the act for the Game Gear? Yeah.
0: So I felt that it was better than Garfield for the Game Gear, but it's, it's not a good game. Uh, James Bond Junior has some really annoying music as well because well it really has some really annoying music the music part is not the annoying part it's the repetition of the music, that it just loops, and that's annoying. It could be the jazziest tune around, but if you hear it 400 times in a row, probably not going to like it anymore. The side-scrolling part where you're flying a helicopter, you have unlimited bombs and bullets, but if anything hits you at all, you just die. And it goes on for a very, very long time. The platforming section, which precedes the helicopter section goes on for uh, I would say three seconds literally three seconds Uh you spawn in you jump you get super boots you walk forward to there's one bad guy you punch and then you walk forward and to another bad guy wearing like a superhero outfit and then all of a sudden you are flying a helicopter no transition and there's no reason why you're all of a sudden like he's just like James Bond Jr. is just like having flashbacks to like flying a helicopter if you really love James Bond Jr. then maybe play the game but you could probably go for the rest of your life without playing it, so... It's not a great game. No,
1: like, I didn't think it was. There's
0: other platformers out there that are better. If yep. you've beaten every platformer and side-scrolling game out there in existence, then, yeah, sure, pick it up. So, for nostalgia purposes and to break the edutainment chain... Uh, Zach can play Mega Man 2 from 1988.
1: Nice. Will do. Uh, One fun fact about James Bond Jr. is when you start the game, you'll see that it says uh, copyright 1992 of Toy Headquarters Incorporated, which is THQ. That's fun. Yeah, in fact, they used to stylize their name as T-HQ because they wanted to let you know it was Toys Headquarters.
0: Now they're just THQ? Yeah. They're just publishers, aren't they? They're not making toys anymore, right? Well, they
1: they didn't make toys even back then. They made video games. What?!
0: Those liars. They said toys in their name.
1: They were founded by a guy who was from LJN, which was a toy company. Do you know, it
0: sounds like we need to do an LJN and a THQ episode. Yeah.
1: Fun fact, though, about THQ. Early in their history, we're not going to go too deep into THQ history in this episode, but early in their history, they acquired a company called New Ventures. New Ventures was a division of Broderbund full circle. Well, that is a full circle.
0: You know, back back then and even today the video game industry is a little incestuous. Anyway, that's gonna be our Yars Revenge episode. A game where you play as a horsefly. Named after a CEO. Trying to take a bite. Out of crime. <laughs> no, not out of crime. That's what Carmen Sandiego tries to do. Or no, no,
1: no, Car- Car- San Di- Carmen Sandiego does not take a Carmen- bite of their crime. That was McGruff the crime dog.
0: Carmen Sandiego is the crime. That's Gruff McGruff. So wait, wait, I've got a question. McGruff is is a dog
1: yes in a trench coat yeah
0: it, regardless he's still a dog yes carmen san is a person who commits criminal acts because she steals things yeah she is a criminal if mcguff bit carmen san would he be taking a bite out of crime yes i thought you were gonna ask would they have to put him down no he's he's in a trench coat he obviously is is like he's fine no one's gonna touch that dog he's also like i think like a like a mastiff
1: or something. <laughs> he is a mastiff yeah
0: yeah he's probably huge <laughs> Anyway, yes. Yar's Revenge, you end up playing a mutated horsefly and you fight the Kotile. And if you thought that episode was garbage, you can let us know by sending us an email at ClassicGamingBrothers at gmail.com. If you thought it was great, you can tweet at us at... CG Brothers Pod. You can also follow our Facebook, our Twitch, and our Instagram. And those are all at Classic Gaming Brothers. You can also continue to listen to us wherever podcast apps are available to listen to. And you can give us a rating if you want while you're there. We love ratings. The more stars, the better. Is
1: there anything else that I'm forgetting?
0: Don't play games like my brother. And don't play games like my brother.
1: I've been Zach. And I've been Seth. And we've been the Classic Gaming Brothers. That's,
0: That's right. right i